Hi, Craig. Hello, Craig. Craig ah, yes. doesn't like us unless we're nice to him. How Craig. is your day, Craig? <laughs> How is Craig much of a day? He gets cranky on us. <laughs> Craig is giving us the silent treatment. You know, you know the reason why people used to talk to plants and rocks and stuff, right? It's not because they're superstitious, no. It's because the rocks and plants used to revolt whenever they were treated not, uh, treated poorly. They would fucking unionize. And they'd be uh, like, fuck you. But also, if you say nice words to plants, they grow faster. Has that been experimentally verified? No. I'm pretty sure the correlation there is that the people who talk to the plant care more about the plant, so they take better care of it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Shadow CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, what she said. I'm sorry, I can't do shadow crossfit. Shadow roll? You're, you're not into the culty thing? I can do shadow walk. How about that? I can walk. How about hiking? I want Wait the shadow hike. <laughs> Listen, Paul, if, if you want to just take us all on like an Amazonian shadow run where it's all like wilderness based, I'm just saying it's an option. Shadow car trip. Some I know it's cheating. Shadow road trip. <laughs> Well, you know, our team just happened to end up in the Florida Keys. No, no, no. We're, the team got hired uh, the Forest Service to maintain the trees and uh, forest fires. Why would you hire Shadowrunners to take care of trees? And then, and then we have to investigate a, uh, a murder mystery. And the killer was actually a sentient glowing crab <laughs> that lives in the nearby lake. I think they're all awakened crabs. crabs. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just going to shoot the crab. Anyways, Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. We, uh, <clears throat> we left the team um, at Fred's. Just leaving Fred's store. to go to the nightclub thingy. Yep, Cecile had gotten into the van and taken the wheel. And Kirsten had gotten on the back of the bike with Deandere. And... Boxer was still headed back to the van, if I remember right. Mm, yep, pretty much. And Grace was also still in the van. She hadn't gotten out of the van. Yeah. Oh, then can you run that by me one more time? The last bit there about the van. Grace, you were still in the van, right? You never mm-hmm. really left the van. Oh, or did you? Not did you physically. Yes, she projected out of the van. The hive queen and the hegemon. All right. So <clears throat> you guys are headed to meet this fixer who apparently knows something about your situation and is potentially able to help you with it. And he's contacted you through Kirsten. He wants to, he set up a meeting and he's asked that you all join him. And I think there was some question. Um, Grace was feeling a little bit of anxiety regarding that situation. Ah. It's not on the top of my head, but I know she she expressed some concern and how how this wasn't really piecing together in her head. That was it. Okay. Well, in any case, <clears throat> traditionally we start with an opening scene, and, and tonight will not be different than that. Um, so here goes. Seattle in February isn't pleasant. Mix in the sixth world's ever-present pollution, and it gets worse. Our camera pans down through the morning, driving mix of rain and sleet, each drop leaving a gray and greasy residue onto what appears to be a modern corporate campus. 
In spite of the season and the weather, the buildings and grounds are well maintained with neat pedestrian pathways. On one of these, a perfectly aligned cohort of men and women of all metahuman variants and ages in neat black running suits with gold trim are jogging in unison. Their leader is an older human with a military physique and haircut. As he bellows out cadence, the cohort responds as one. The camera zooms in on a young human woman. Her face shines with pride. Her blonde hair is tied back neatly into a tight shoulder-length ponytail. Both her demeanor and her perfect hair appear impervious to the grim moisture soaking her compatriots. The camera zooms rapidly back out and across Seattle's dreary skyline, then plunges into a more industrial neighborhood, across a parking lot in which a single blacked-out roadmaster sits, through a set of faux western saloon doors under an unlit neon sign, and into a large space decorated in the trappings of a poorly remembered and idealized neo-western barn, replete with pseudo-sawdust-strewn plastiplank flooring and badly taxidermied paracritters on the walls. In the center of the dimly lit space, an orc hangs suspended from his bound wrists. His head hangs down and dark blood is drooling from his split mouth. His knees have sagged and don't support his weight. In a circle around him stand several black-clad figures. Their postures are relaxed, their weapons at ease. Before the orc stands a slight Asian woman, dressed in an impeccable pencil skirt, well-structured jacket, and pink blouse. In her right hand, she wields an evil-looking knife. It is not long or oddly shaped, but its dark sheen and thin blade resonate with intent. Dark blood runs down the blade across the woman's hand and drips into the faux sawdust. She says, we traced her comlink to this location. Where is she? The orc moans. I swear, I don't know nothing more. It was here, and then they left in a grid guide. That cat woman come back and got her bike the next day. They was, they had a talking horsey, and it was nice. Please don't hurt Kirsten. She's just a girl. The Asian woman hisses in frustration. She wipes the blade on the orc's shirt, and then it disappears underneath her jacket. She stalks off towards the door. One of the figures in black armor steps up and places the muzzle of a heavy pistol against the left armpit of the orc and pulls the trigger. The pistol bucks and the orc instantly slumps. The camera follows the small Asian woman out of the door and zooms into the sky. Yeah, she was nice. Great. Perfect. Um, quirky. Uh, th- this is where I have to give some bad news. I am going to have to finish that pasta real quick. I'll be back. Gonna be okay. a while. <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys remember that character? I do. Yeah, he was nice. That was the, the first week I showed up. Yeah. Though I didn't have a character yet. Or no, I had a character. He was a bit slow, but he deserved better. Yeah. Aren't all orcs and trolls kind of slow? Oh, that's racist, honey. That is very I'm incredibly racist. racism when you can't stop me. Oh my god, horse racism. Yeah. The thing is, Cecile, we, we, Cecile and I had talked about this later. Um, Veronica and I talked about this later, but Veronica never changed the, uh, I forget what it's called, but there's a code. Every comlink has a specific identifier and code, and she was still using it when you guys were at the bar. She never changed Ooh. that code. So anytime she logs into the matrix through it, she's being tracked. So unfortunately, she was tracked to that location. <laughs> In the meantime, she's taking care of that sort of a bit of background. Um, all right, while we're waiting for Veronica, I guess I'm going to take a quick break, too. I'll be back in two minutes. Tea break? Yep, tea break. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Welcome back. Here? Anyway, yeah. are we gonna do the the funny gaming thing? Shadow uh, run. We we found. Is it is is it is it beginning? It's Finally? beginning. <laughs> oh God! We it's went. Beginning. We got through the opening scene, and uh, so we're driving to the jazz bar. Yep. Kirsten drops Cecile and the rest of the team the pin. Uh, so D and Dare, you get. Well, you're not. You're not really super tech involved, right? So your comms like super basic and in your pocket mm-hmm. and probably not connected to you in any way. So um, Kirsten's just sort of yelling at you, giving you directions. Um, the location of the meet is actually in Tacoma. I believe last session I might have said that it was in Auburn. But in any case, we're going to have to edit that out. Um, so she drops you a pin. The, uh, the location is in Tacoma. It's a jazz club, a jazz and blues club called Samovar. Can I read reviews? Can you do what? Can I read reviews of the jazz bar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There is apparently, um, it's sort of an inside kind of place where a, you can't get in unless you know somebody, and B, when you do get in, it's um, got the reputation of hosting um, both up-and-coming artists and bands that um, are sort of um, niche and not so well known, but you know, very highly regarded in within the uh, within the jazz and, and blues scene. Mm-hmm. And every now and then also has larger, more well-known um, acts performing. But again, it, it's never a, um, there's no cover and there's no entrance fee. It's more of a club in the strict sense of a, it being a club with members, a very specific membership. Um, and it is definitely rumored to be connected to the shadows. Um which is not surprising given that it is known to be owned by a um, well-established fixer in the, shat- in the Seattle shadow scene, Prokop Skillful. Um, so it has an odd reputation. Um, it's the kind of place that people are dying to get an invite to, but nobody really knows how to get an invite to. A lot of angry reviews about being turned away at the door. A lot of angry reviews about being turned away at the door or not knowing even how to find it. You know, the kind okay. of thing like, how are we supposed to get there? If, you know, nobody knows where it is. But, um, <clears throat> you know, and then in the mainstream, there's a lot of, uh, there is actually some concern or voiced, you know, that the fact that it's associated with shadow runners and potentially terrorists type of thing. So it all adds to a aura of, of a little bit of mystery and, you know, sort of adds to the cachet of the place. Good to know. Um, Grace, how are you? What are your thoughts currently on on the meeting of uh of this person, Procrop Skillful, and it doesn't really piece together in her head. She is only following along in an attempt, on the off chance, it feels at this point that this is going to provide a meaningful and viable. Uh, resolution to the um, crisis, let's call it, for her and her friends. Um, 
because they're kind of in a spot. And Grace is uh, looking for work, right? Uh, no, not really. She does what she does um, for personal enrichment and the experiences it provides. Um, a part of that means that she has to be able to have new yin, but um, not at the cost of her life. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Boxer is far more open to work, especially shadow type work. <laughs> Uh-huh. And, and Dean Dare is probably sort of in the same situation. I think Dean Dare's probably done some work in the shadows recently, but for like the last little bit, she's probably just been investigating on her own. Yeah, you're like looking for your her brother. first major contact in the shadows. You're looking for your brother, and you actually used to be uh, a cop, a detective, so certainly at least peripherally aware and, and knowledgeable of the shadows. In any case, the drive to uh, Tacoma is uh, relatively uneventful. It's uh, nighttime now, and um, <clears throat> Kirsten, uh, sitting on the back of your bike, is giving you directions. And um, as you enter Tacoma, which you know is down by the docks and is a very blue-collar industrial area, similar in some ways to Auburn, but a little bit more... Um, has also had some upscale investment from corporations. So there's, it has its own sort of skyline, and, but that's not where you're going tonight, apparently, as you follow Kirsten's directions and as the van is following you guys, you're entering more of a, uh, a seedier, blue-collary type of area um, with a lot of older industrial buildings and warehouses. Um, <clears throat> the area is full of bars and, you know, looks like local food joints and maybe some other less savory establishments. Um, and then your convoy, your small convoy pulls off into a, a side street um, between what appears to be an old, um, possibly abandoned warehouse and an ancient looking concrete industrial building um, that's, you know, discolored from decades of acid rain. The concrete or the plascrete is, is blackened and there are no lights or anything. The whole place is sort of dark and dim and the uh, the little alleyway that you guys are pulling into is completely unlit. And you, as you enter, drive further down the alleyway, you come to a uh, what looks to be sort of a loading dock and service area behind this large industrial concrete building. Um, and there's a... Uh, there are some low light above a couple of doors. Obviously, there's a large um, roll-up type door where the uh, trucks would have pulled up and offloaded, and as well as a at least one door that's more um, meta-human sized. <clears throat> you see several large, um, says several figures standing around the door, um, and in the pool of light directly under the, or over the door, um, you see a um, looks like a smaller human female standing smoking a cigarette and so you guys pull up there kirsten gives you sort of the tap on the shoulder telling you to pull over into the uh into the loading dock area and motions back towards the van that this is your your destination the seal uh parks the van and gets out i think uh dean dare probably parks the parks her bike like right in front of the van like the perpendicular to the van i guess you could say yeah, that's uh, uh, like the exact same direction as. Mm. All right. As your vehicles pull to a stop and you start getting out, you see the woman um, in the light by the door. 
sort of flick the cigarette with a practiced move into the darkness. Um, the the other figures standing around her are obviously a security team. Um, there's about eight of them. Hmm. Cecilia goes ahead and walks in, or attempts to. Walks towards the woman by the door. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and she's just walking toward the door. Yeah, the, the the woman's between you and the door. Okay. She's she's a little bit uh, smaller than you are. Um, have a picture, which we are going to show you. How about the rest of you guys? Uh, I think uh, Dinder is not following behind uh cecile she's kind of motioning for uh what's her name the npc we have with us kirsten uh, kirsten she's like come on kirsten you're our ticket in and starts walking forwards yep kirsten's gotten off and and taken off her helmet and she's got it under her arm and uh grace are you staying in the van or are you getting out she's going to stay in the van um eventually as a she might um, like crack the window just a little bit so that she can try and listen into the conversation that's going on. But uh, once they actually get in, she's going to actually project and follow them from there. Okay. Um, so, Cecile, as you get closer to the woman, you see that uh, obviously she's surrounded by several, uh, several heavily armed figures. Um, there's a camera mounted above the door and what looks like a couple of other sensor-type arrays. Behind you, Deandir and um, Kirsten, and I imagine Boxer, are you following along as well? Yes. Okay, so the uh, the four of you get up to the woman. The, the security people um, are watching you, but they're not in any not any other way react, reacting to you. Um, the uh, the woman doesn't get out of your way or anything. She's standing there and she looks at uh, Cecile and boxer and then at Dinder and she says I'm Nadia. Good and evening then, Nadia. Shall we go inside stop. or Dinder boxer? I know Kirsten. Um Kirsten you're not coming inside with us. Kirsten looks a little disappointed but doesn't say anything. And then Nadia looks at boxer and Dinder and Cecile again. She says I believe we're missing one of your party. The horse? I think Dean Dare just says the horse and looks back at the van. Isn't she coming? Nadia glances over at the van and says, uh, yes, the horse. Good. Okay. You green person, go get the horse then. You think you have the confidence to order me around, Norm? Right. Okay, you too. I'll get the goddamn horse. Thank she you. goes back and gets the goddamn horse. Um, Nightingale very much refuses to physically leave the van. There is probably a little bit of a scuffle. Uh, eventually, she um, agrees to manifest right out of the gate and walk as a wispy, very much, she looks exactly like a spirit. Um, this, uh, like, unusually well put together paracritter except it's ephemeral and um and almost translucent but not quite at least not enough to really matter uh wearing a cloak and practitioner's cap but nothing else so you're just she's she 
Uh, she can be seen. She can be sensed, um, and she can sense like conversation and stuff. But um, she's not physically there. Is if she... someone were to put their hands through her, she it would just be passing right through. So is she astrally present or astrally astrally present? Yeah, she's actually perceiving and actually present. She doesn't actually have her physical senses, but it's a direct psychic connection that allows her to understand what people are intending with their their words, for example. Okay, so as the moment you manifest in that way, you see that there are two watcher spirits hanging around close to you, as well as two spirit of beasts. And that there appears to be a fairly robust mana barrier around the building. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the woman that uh, the rest of the group has been talking to um, is um, magically active. That is one of the uh, security people. Can I, uh, can I make an assessing check just to see um, the, the full story, how magically active they are, I suppose? Okay. Um, so, go ahead. Two. I forget the table. Got the book open here somewhere. Yeah, I just had this table open. Class of the magical subject. The subject's essence in magic being higher, lower, or equal is, uh, is three. Say that again, please. Um, so the, the, the important thing is I can sense cyberware implants, the class of the magical subject, including if they're like a magician or an adept or what. Um, if I've seen their aura before, I may recognize it regardless of physical disguises, uh, since she's always a sensing, that's, um, kind of possible. Uh, and, uh, also the general state of the subject's health, their general emotions, and, yeah. All right, so you are a sensing her? Yeah. Um, she's, like I said, she's magically active. She's probably in your range from a magical um, ability and power standpoint. Um, Don't forget her emotional state. She's, yeah, she's not, um, emotionally you would say that she's more bored and maybe somewhat annoyed. Mm. And, uh, you know, as you look, glance around yourself, you see the uh, the two Watcher spirits. They're just little balls of look like little balls of fuzzy electricity bouncing around, but they don't seem to be in any way, you know, focused exclusively on you or your team as neither do the uh, spirits of beast. Um, The spirits of beast appear to just be patrolling the perimeter of the mana barrier. I see. How long has uh, it been at this point? That you guys have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, how long? I mean, it just took you, you know, less than a minute to walk up to Nadia and, and her to introduce yourself. The time would have been how long did it take Boxer to persuade Grace to manifest? Um, she probably would have done it very quickly, but I don't imagine Boxer would have been aware of what Grace was going to do. So she wouldn't have suggested it. So Grace would have to process it on her own while basically being told you have to physically come here now, you know? Yeah. So you guys have probably been there less than a minute at this point. And, uh, you know, Boxer goes, gets Grace. Grace manifests as this uh, sort of ephemeral being. And uh, Nadia's watching all this happen probably as Boxer walked back to the van. Nadia reached back into her jacket and pulled out another a packet of cigarettes and lit another one. 
and is uh, sitting there smoking sort of in that posture that you see in the picture that I attached, um, just sort of waiting for you guys to get all come up there. Well, it appears the horse is here. Mm. Yes, the horse is here. I suppose we'll open the uh, the mana barrier. Shouldn't be a problem for her then. Um, that's fine. If you want to wait out here, she seems to address the words towards Grace. If you want to wait out here physically, that's fine. I I, I would prefer that. I'm is she a sensing right now? Can she can she tell that I'm not physically there? Is that because I, I was thinking that she might look kind of like a uh, a normal spirit? If that makes sense. Uh, you can't tell. Well, I guess you can tell by by her words. Well, I would be able to tell because when she's assessing, when she's actually perceiving, she would be dual natured. Yeah, either that or she's uh, the uh, the watcher spirit or something else has communicated it to her. I see. Okay. I uh, Grace is just going to say uh, yes. I, I would. I would very much prefer that. Nadia just shrugs, flips the rest of the second cigarette that she's lit that she's barely smoked back off into the darkness. And um, <clears throat> she looks at Kirsten and says, well, Kirsten, like I said, you can't come in tonight. And uh, so I would appreciate it if you would just either wait here or wait in the van with your friend. Um, Kirsten doesn't say anything. She just sort of nods and uh, walks back to the van. Uh, weird question. How far did she flick the cigarette butt away? Uh, probably just over the edge of the, uh, the loading dock. Okay. Keep this in mind for later. I think DNJ would probably step down off the loading dock to put this to make sure the cigarette butt is out. Okay. It's uh it is fairly drizzly and rainy, so nothing's dry here. Okay. But you you step down, the uh the security detail watches you and uh but nobody makes any kind of move to intervene or anything. Um Nadia uh, watches you. I think as DNJ steps up she says, wouldn't want to start a fire. You see a small flicker of a smile flit across Nadia's face, and she just nods and motions towards the plasteel door, um, which opens before you. I think Dandar would probably push past Cecile at this point. Excuse you. So Dandar enters first, and then Cecile is behind her, and Boxer and Grace. Yeah. Um, The mana barrier has been moved or something, right? You're basically being allowed to pass through it. Ah, well, she's just going to do that. We're walking with Boxer. Yep. So it opens in front of you. Um, I think the barrier is probably there enough or whatever kind of barrier it is there that both both Grace and Cecile feel a distinct sensation of having passed through either a ward or a, a mana barrier. And on the other side of the door is a large bare room. Um, and on the far side of that, is another plasteel door very similar to the one that you just walked through. Um, Nadia sort of is leading the way, and the exterior door closes behind you. You feel a sensation of air pressure changing. Um, why don't you guys all make a perception check? Would I even make a check? So I have my physical senses? Um, <clears throat> no. You don't need to make a physical, you don't need to make a check. Okay. Yeah. So boxer, you're fairly hyper aware. Um, your combat experiences, you know, are clue, cluing you in here. 
This is sort of an, an airlock chamber. The back door is closed behind you. The door ahead of you is still closed. Um, you feel the air cycling. In the four corners of the room, you see camera and sensor arrays as well as what look like uh, automatic weapon turrets. Um, nothing bad is happening, but you can tell that these are are fairly sophisticated and extraordinary security measures that you guys are passing through. Um, Deandir and, and Veronica, you're basically seeing, you know, a large room, the doors, um, you feel the pressure change and you're probably attributing it to the fact that the big door just closed behind you. Um, you probably see the camera, camera rays and things like that. Um, but other than that, it's seems like a fairly standard sort of, um, hallway with another door, um, which, um, Nadia looks back at you and uh, nods and then opens the uh, opens the inner door. And this door, when it opens, um, now you suddenly are hearing music. You're hearing jazz. You're hearing a, a woman singing in a very low and slow voice um, accompanied by what sounds like uh, a fairly standard jazz quartet with a with a bass and uh, a horn and, and probably some percussion instruments. Um, you don't understand what? the language that... Go ahead. Do I recognize it? Um, I, I have a one point in music. Yeah, go ahead and let's let's roll it. Two. Is it actually being sung by a person? Or yes. is it uh, on recording? Oh. Nope. It is being sung by a person. And it's a... Uh, it sounds like some kind of probably 20th century Brazilian jazz. So the, she's probably singing in Portuguese. Good to know. Oh, uh, uh, I have Spanish. Um, obviously, it's not a like perfect intelligibility, but no, it's cl- probably close enough where you probably can pick up some of the uh, the words and intent. Mm, cool. Um, uh, but as the has, door opens and go ahead, Dinder. Has Dinder heard this song before? Like she's old as fuck. So like, if this was this this song was ever popular, then she'd probably know it. It's possible. Um, it's possible. Maybe it does sound familiar to you. Did you hang out in Brazil a lot? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, could be right. Yeah. So the you know the second door is opened up and you. You get this burst of music coming through it. Not really a burst. I mean, it's it's the voice is very very low and slow and just sort of uh, melodic and and harmonic. And but um, as the door opens, you see that it's just another dark hallway in front of you. And at the end of it, you see some dim light filtering through what appear to be some heavy red curtains. And uh, Nadia just keeps walking ahead of you. The Topps Company, Inc. has sole ownership of the names, logo, artwork, marks, photographs, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Topps Company, Inc. has granted permission to the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or any proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, 
but does not endorse and is not affiliated with the Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast in any official capacity whatsoever. The music for the Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast was written and performed by Trace Mineral. The Hard Knocks Sorority Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons License 4.0, meaning you are welcome to use the material as long as you give us credit.